Hi, welcome to the first episode of UH Studio Podcasts. In this episode, we have Dion Moat, who is the lead developer and the founder of Blender BIM, which has been incorporated into IFC OpenShell. He currently works as an emerging digital engineering manager at LendLease in Sydney, Australia, and he has been trained as an architect, including an MRC degree. And prior to that, he has been working with open source software for quite a bit. We've got two parts for you with Dion. The first one is a very casual podcast where we talk a lot about what IFC is, what Blender BIM is, how we can think about the AEC industry as being a bit more open. And then in the second part, he does a live demo of some of the new and upcoming exciting features of Blender BIM. So stay tuned. Hey, Dimitar. Nice to finally have a chance to catch up with you face to face. I think we've been chatting a bit. Uh, before that, but it's good to have a face-to-face meeting finally. Definitely agree. So really, really happy to finally sit down and have a chat with you as well. So I'm curious about your kind of investment with open source and architecture. How did that kind of start? How did you decide to first off develop open source tools for architecture and how you see that progress helping the AEC industry? I started with open source a long time before I got involved in AEC. I did a lot of open source development in um, in other languages. Um, I worked a bit as a software developer as well in a previous career. Open source has kind of always been been with me for a very long time since I first started using, uh, since very early on when I was using computers. So I switched to a Linux desktop. And when you switch to Linux, it kind of opens your, your eyes to it completely different world that most people are, are not exposed to. A, a different suite of applications, a different culture of, of the community of, of people who are developing those applications, who are sharing um, how they use their computers. It's it's very different, which which is almost non-existent in AC industry. And uh, as I was trained as an architect and worked in architecture, naturally I, I started looking for what was analog- analogous to that in AEC. And um, Blender, uh, which is heavily used in the CG industry, um, is in, seen as one of the, I guess, um, flagship open source developments, has lots of applications in, in architecture. And, and of course, you know more. <laughs> you know very well about that. You, you teach many courses about it. And um, uh, another thing I, Open source also goes very well in with the concept of open data. Um, and there is an open data standard for BIM known as IFC. And when I put the two and two together, IFC and BIM, that's kind of what started me in my more serious exploration into open source in uh, AEC. Uh, cool. So is your background in software development or architecture or something else? I have an informal background in software development. Uh, I was self-taught, which means I, I learned the hard way, lots of things, especially lots of very software engineering concepts, which um, it takes time to appreciate, only when you've written a lot of code. Um, but my formal training in university is in architecture. Right, okay. So you know the architecture ways, and then that's great. And you can put that with the software expertise you have to sort of develop tools for use for architects and engineers and construction industry. Indeed, and, and my primary role 
is leaning more towards the architecture side and less towards the uh, software development side. The software development is just a means to the end. You know, it's it's a tool. Um, it's, yeah. a, it's a technique, a skill set, but um, really, uh, I, I was trained as an architect. I worked as an arch uh, well in an architecture firm. Um, I'm not a officially a registered architect in Australia, so legally I can't call myself an architect. Um, and now I, I work for a, a large developer, which crosses many disciplines, not just architectural, but structural engineering and so on. And what's the capacity that uh, you work as in there as an architect, as a designer, consultant? No, I work, my job title right now is a digital engineering, emerging digital engineering manager. And um, that looks at the, the, the digital information behind many, many disciplines. So it's not limited to just architecture. And I'm really appreciative of this because I get a, a very broad view across many, many disciplines. Right. Okay. So from that perspective, you probably have a better insight. I imagine Revit is used to your company. Absolutely. As is okay. possible. <laughs> so I imagine you have a much better insight at some of the limitations that Revit offers for the broader industry than just for architecture, because in architecture, we kind of take it for granted for some of the earlier stage work, but for some of the later stage work, when he has to deal with the construction disciplines, uh, I, I hear that there's a few more limitations than what we already know as limitations within the architecture industry. Is that what you find in your research? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, Revit is only a very small piece of the puzzle here. And yeah. If, if you take a look at the big picture, um, and I think we should be taking a look at the big picture, you know, because a building only comes together when a lot of us work together. And you enter the world of costing, and I mean, you don't cost in Revit. Mm. You don't do scheduling in Revit. I mean, you could force it to, but you don't. Um, they, they, they have their own uh, software, their own suites of issues. Um, and then, of course, in fabrication and in, in construction and facility management. So I guess in facility management, that's another world in itself. And then when the building is operated and the building management systems, that's another entirely world. You know, it's a different world yet again. And um, I think that we should realize that we want to be working holistically. And it's, it's a little bit short-sighted to just say, okay, you know, I, I put my blinkers on, I, I produce these drawings, uh, my, my bid is done, handed off. Ideally, the value add should be integrated across more phases. And I never truly got to experience that working in a pure architecture firm. I, I learned a lot and it was, in, and I am very, very grateful to have a foundation in, in a single discipline and not spread myself too thin too early, but it's good to see both sides. What do you see as the glue between the different disciplines? We used to have requirements from big clients to actually hand off Revit models. What is the intermediate format that typically gets handled across different? For the day-to-day -day exchanges, you just use what works. So whether if you're all on Revit and Revit integrates, you know, it's a, it's a very practical choice. And by all means, keep on using it for now as a, as a short-term solution. Similarly, if you need to import or export to get to another tool or use something like an interoperability uh, suite like Speckle or to you know stream things across, by all means, it gets, it gets the job done in the short term. The clients are becoming more and more savvy around this. And historically, yes, Revit 
just just choosing whatever tool was already being employed was probably the smart move. But now they're starting to realize that there are actually better options. And if you take a long-term view, the Revit model doesn't last very long. Yeah, towards uh, past, past construction and operation, when, when a client, a building owner, pays you to do a BIM model and they want something digital out of it, at the end of the day, like I said, Revit's just one very small part of the puzzle there. They're going to have models from Revit. They're going to have cost scheduled in a particular format. They're going to have sequencing done in another format. They're going to have fabrication models done in another format. They're going to have asset registers uh, handled separately. They're going to have many messy documents and spreadsheets all floating around. And it starts to beg the question, hold on, isn't there a smarter way? It's not a new question. There's a very obvious answer to it. And there is a smarter way. And the clients are cluing into that. They're saying, actually, we can get all this data integrated. The tools are slowly maturing to be able to give us that data in an in, in, uh, integrated fashion. It will still be us, be with us for 30 years, 40 years. By that point, Revit's long gone. Even if you're paying an army of people to do nothing but upgrade 10, 20 federated models per project again and again for every version and continuously import, export and fix the upgrade issues and, and keep on maintaining that across all the different platforms. So I assume you're talking about IFC here or just the general notion of having an alternative format. Uh, the general notion of having an open data schema that is cross-discipline. Mm. And IFC ticks many of those boxes. But IFC, of course, is one of many solutions. Um, it has a few unique things, which I think make IFC the foundation or cornerstone of our industry. I think we should always be aware that there's more than IFC out there. I don't really mean formats because I see importing and exporting formats as a bit of a dead end. It's fine for short term when you just want to get data across. There are some people who see IFC as an import-export format. In some regards, it's true that's how the vendors have, how many proprietary vendors have presented that to users. Uh, but the reality is that IFC is not a, just an import-export format. It's actually a native database. It goes across every single discipline and standardizes the way data is structured and related to one another. And that's not something which Speckle provides. Like Speckle provides a great way to translate bits of arbitrary data from one platform to another. But what it doesn't specify is exactly how that data should be structured. Sure, there's a lightweight one which comes out of the box because at the end of the day, you know, you, somebody needs to agree that here's how you transfer geometry, for example. The bigger systemic issues with our industry, if somebody said, pull up your Revit model and show me which parameter you've stored your fire rating in for all of your doors. IFC offers you a straight answer to that question. Revit also understands that, and Revit comes with a built-in fire rating parameter because it understands the value of standardization, that you shouldn't be surprised where the fire rating parameter is. Not very many people follow that fire rating parameter, but if you do... I was going to say, different doors, depending <laughs> on who's built them, would have a That's different right. parameter. And when you put those two together, you know, you, you better make sure you have somebody in the office was looking after that to make sure that you have the proper fire ratings of all the different doors. So when you look at it like that, I mean, what's the difference between what you're doing in Revit and somebody just creating a bunch of parameters? And I'm saying Revit here because you know, a lot of people, but it doesn't yeah. have to be Revit. Um, what's the difference between what you're doing there and somebody opening up an Excel spreadsheet for the first time, creating a few columns, sometimes misspelling fire rating, and creating a column for fire rating, right? It's 
there is no difference to a messy spreadsheet in what you're doing there. And I like to use this analogy because it's not about the tech. It's just the fundamental issue of getting people to agree on standardized naming, you know, data structure, where to where you should store various parameters. And that's the value which only an ISO standard can provide. Not a group of communities, not even the best, you know, the, the most vibrant open source coders can provide. It, it takes ISO standardization at a government level, at a legal level, that you can endorse, that you can put in contracts, that you can name without being affiliated to any particular technology or company. That's one of the key values of of IFC and more critical is that IFC is the only data schema to do this across all disciplines. It's not like like GBXML does this for the energy uh, field and then Ladybug tools have Honeybee JSON. The point I'm trying to make here is that those are scoped, whereas IFC is the only mad enough <laughs> set of people who have said, no, 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 we got to work together. Here's the entire built environment and for better or for worse, you get trade-offs with that, but uh, yes. it's the only one brave enough to make that journey. Speaking about IFC, I have a question for you. How do you see the industry of architecture, particularly the architecture software, evolving to become a better player in the overall AEC industry? I think if you rewind to when IFC started, we're talking before 2000, right? 1990s, around about, it's, it's been 30 years or ISU to, to be around kicking. And, and when they first created IFC, I think it was a bit of a pipe dream for people to say, one day, every AEC software is going to support this. Mm-hmm. We're not saying how well they support it, just they, they do support it. You know, there's the button there that says IFC. And then in the past 10 years, you know, that number has accelerated and accelerated and accelerated. Architecturally, we're actually ahead of the game, I would say. As much as people like to complain about Revit's uh, IFC capabilities, and, and Revit is a tool that most architects use, it's actually not too bad. And you can get quite a bit done for the architectural scope. I mean, and, and, and that's how we're measuring at the moment. Of course, if you measure Revit's IFC capabilities by its ability to do, I don't know, uh, organization for facility management, like suppliers and manufacturers, of course, it's going to fail. But uh, if you're if you're saying, can architectural software do what I need it to do in IFC? Revit and Archicad, the two the two big names out there for architects. The answer is they do a pretty good job. They're not very good at marketing it, and there are always these little niggly bugs that that once you start getting to the details, you'll find they can be overcome. Does geometry come across? Yes. Are basic parametric information coming across, like the thickness of layers and walls? Yes. Uh, is the or, or the profiles being used? Yes. Can materials be categorized so that you can immediately select everything that's concrete or steel? Yes. Can you pull out any arbitrary property? Most likely, yes. Are most quantities correct? Most automated quantities correct? Yes. Can you customize the naming of all your elements? Yes. Uh, think about when Revit just started the type of conversations people were having back then um, have evolved to be a lot more conscientious about how we're using our BIM tools. Right now, almost every single large firm has a automated model checker, a you know, Revit quality status things. And there will come a time where the same will happen for IFC. And it's, and it's starting to get there. The tools are there uh, for, for the basics. Uh, the enforcement is starting to grow. Um, clients are starting to specify it more and more in contracts. 
shall we talk a little bit about Blender BIM? More than happy to. So tell us, how did Blender BIM become Blender BIM? What's the story behind it? What was, wh why did you start making that tool? Yeah, well, I'm a, a longtime Blender user. And that's how I learned 3D. I, I never went the Rhino route. I went straight into the, the mesh modeling style that the CG industry uses. So I've used it a lot throughout my architectural career. And there was a project at my current company, uh, an internal project where we were looking to do a small prototype that was going to be constructed. And because it was a prototype, it had a lot of very funny geometry. So I guess you could look at it as a geometric puzzle, not so much a BIM project where you're managing lots of schedules of things, but more just, you know, lots of finicky geometry. And for that, Blender was fine. So I modeled up the building in Blender and it was, it, it was just a model. It was just pure 3D. And then a day came and we said, oh, this has to be a BIM model, not just a 3D model, a BIM model. So I said, okay, we got two choices here. We can remodel it all in BIM software so it becomes a BIM model. <laughs> and we can start putting properties or attributes and all that and, and schedule things out and all the rest of it. Or we can build the functionality we need into Blender. And it was a small internal prototype. And I was very lucky that a, a higher up manager who was probably not on the tools very much as most hire managers are not, uh, made the question, do we have to do it in Revit? And, I, and it got me thinking, I said, do we? Do we actually? <laughs> and so I went home that night and I, I said, well, how long does it take for me to build a, to make Blender read and write IFC? And so I, I have 83 lines of code that exports faceted BREPs from any Blender mesh into IFC. It worked. Great, now I can get meshes into IFC and, and that's geometry done. <laughs> of course, there's a lot more to it, but, but that was it mostly done. And it was just a matter of adding more and more features to get whatever attributes we needed. And at the time it was a complete hack. It was a, it was a script driven by deadlines. <laughs> it got the job done. The building got built, it's, it's there. It was the world's first building, you know, uh, made using Pure IFC exported from Blender. The, the nice. very preliminary, like the construction docs were raster. They weren't even vector. <laughs> it was, it was a hack after hack after hack. But it, you know, it got it got done, and it made me realize, hey, you know, how maybe we should just keep on building more. And at the time, um, I was using two other software. I was using IFC OpenShell because that was the the main library that could support. IFC. And I was also using FreeCAD. And originally I was thinking of using FreeCAD, but this was in 2020. FreeCAD was a little less stable than it was today. And I, and I wasn't brought up in that type of solid modeling paradigm. So I felt many things uh, not natural for me to do. FreeCAD also supports IFC and has BIM tools like wall tools and slab tools and so on. And it supported it much, much, much earlier than, than Blender ever did. But at the time there, I said, okay, FreeCAD's not really cutting it simply because I wasn't, I didn't have that mentality of, of how to model that way. I was more a mesh modeler. And so I went on to Blender. I used IFC OpenShell. IFC OpenShell was, had been developed for 10 years by Thomas Kreinen, who had built a Blender importer. I built a Blender exporter. He had built a Blender importer. And I said, well, what if we could make the two speak to each other? have it both import and export. And he and Thomas said, uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Um, you know, we need more people maintaining it. He doesn't have as much time to maintain it. Uh, he, he's spread pretty thin, I feel. He's working on a lot of things, as most of us tend to be after a while. You put 
at the time, the unnamed Blender exports IFC plus the IFC Blender, and it turned into the world's first import-export thing. Somebody on a forum called it uh, Blender BIM. And I said, oh, that's a, that's a neat name. Just started being called Blender BIM. It got packaged to the public. We built a bunch more tools. Again, just solving day-to-day -day problems in the company. They weren't being built just for fun. They were solving day-to-day -day problems. And then after that, when I went home, I built stuff for fun. But, mm. <laughs> but it was mostly driven by, hey, we actually need to solve this because... I was crazy enough to say, actually, let's let's run this project without Revit. And, and when you do that to yourself, you get too deep into it, and then you end up saying, oh, darn, i got to get these drawings out, and I still don't have a section tool. <laughs> <laughs> that section tool comes really quick. <laughs> doesn't work for anybody else but me, but it works. <laughs> and here we are. Fast forward two years. For a year, Blender BIM just grew. The importer and exporter started aligning. There was a about six months where stuff you imported couldn't export because <laughs> they were just two different systems. Uh, then it took a year for them to coalesce. And then I threw it all away and started again. I said, this is going nowhere. You can't work through importing and exporting. That's, that's not how this industry is going to work. You take a huge amount of work done in something, you essentially play this game where of, of translation loss. You know, whenever you, Im you export, you lose half the information because the translator isn't quite right. <laughs> then you import, then you lose another half. Of the, it's just, that's not the way it should be. It's, it's not sensible system design. And, and that's not really how IFC, it's meant to do more than that. Like the fact that it has multiple serializations, the fact that it can track ownership history, um, and the fact that it can support really parametric native ways of modeling, not like just here's a baked mesh. There are many, many indicators which say that you can just use IFC natively. And so that's what we did. Started again from scratch. Blenderbin became the world's first native IFC editing software. Because there's this question in the industry, right? Is IFC just an output format, like a PDF, where it's finished, you know, and you export it, you combine it, whatever it is that you do? Or is it a live format? Is it an editable format? Yeah, and I think the answer to that question is, it's editable, definitely. Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, very, very editable. Uh, and more than editable, you can work in it immediately, directly. You, you can start in it. You don't. There is no import-export. Um, the only reason you use import-export is because that's a legacy of how our industry evolved, right? Imagine you're a software developer saying, I want to build BIM software back when the concepts of BIM before it was named BIM was coming across. And I said, you would have to invent a lot of the ways you'd be descri describing to a computer walls and slabs and, and taxonomies and materials and all the rest of it. You'd have to reinvent all of that. Back then, you had to do that because there wasn't anything else. IFC did not exist. Anybody looking at that would say, you know, in the long term, it'd be good if there was something which existed. And that's how IFC was born. You know, it was actually Autodesk and a bunch of other companies who were developing software saying, you know, there's a smarter way to do this. And they were right. There is a smarter way. But back then, they had no choice. And one company cannot develop a schema for the entire industry, which is what IC was trying to do. They can only develop it for their thing. And, and once you've done that and you've sold a million copies, then you're stuck with that proprietary schema for a while. And just because we have that history, that's why you press an export button. But if you start a development on BIM software today, and you and somebody said, hey, by the way, here's the ISO standard on how to describe everything in BIM, 
across not just architectural but across everything across all phases of course that will be the sensible thing to do you'd follow the iso standard and that's what and that's what other developers are doing the, the number of isc software is exploding now because if any developer is having to choose between supporting five homebrew solutions from you know the Autodesk, the Trimbles, the you know the the, the Graphisofts, having to choose between integrating between so many different software, which one are they going to choose? They follow the standard. Of course, if you're dealing with short-term interop, then then yes, it makes sense to build little adapters, and I think that's the route Speckle has gone down. But in the long term, if somebody says, "Build me a BIM viewer," are you going to build five different plugins? No, of course not. And there's a, I remember at the office one time, was it Jim, his name, that develops the tools that export from Revit to Rhino, uh, from Rhino to Revit before uh, Rhino Insight was around. He was saying that he adapted IFC because it was easier than to make his own standard. Oh, John Merchant. John, yes. Yeah, yeah, from Geometry Gym. Yeah, indeed. And it's and it's it's lot it's such a logical step. I mean, any IFC viewer, any web-based BIM viewer, any of those newfangled, you know, SaaS platforms for build your own passive house, you know, put your own solar panels on the house. Do do the like when a software developer gets introduced to the BIM industry, the AAC industry, they are looking for things like IFC. And IFC's there. And it's just that the maturity is growing. It's very nice to hear Blender Bim's story. You know, I had no idea how Blender Bim started, and I feel like I do follow it quite intimately, right? With what's going on, what you're developing. So it's good to know wh what the driver is behind some of the tools. Do you have like a feature map or a roadmap? Like, what do you intend, or is it whatever project you're working on at the moment? Yeah. So I'm spread pretty thin, right? It's it's a lot of work yeah. to build the BIM software, it's, it's not easy. The theory that I have is you build whatever is easiest at the time. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's easiest to build a paid problem you need to solve at work. And so that's what gets built. It's also very easy to build if somebody has reported a bug. So if somebody says something doesn't work and they reported it and they give you clear instructions of how to replicate it, that gets fixed first because they've done all the work of testing and setting a goal and, and breaking it down to a manageable chunk for you. It's also very easy to build if you have a user testing it because testing takes a long time. So if you can offload the testing, that gets built first. So what gets built gets driven by who's around me and who's in the community. If more people want certain things or testing certain things more, then that gets built first. In general, because our industry already has many uh, legacy proprietary software, like the Revits of the world, and that means that there's a lot more stuff being built on after it leaves Revit, right? Because you already have Revit to do that tool, to do that job. But once it's exported out of Revit, when you want to open it, when you want to audit it, when you want to augment it with new information, that's the stuff that gets built. Um, the, the company I work for naturally doing a lot of construction means that a lot of 4D and 5D tools get built. Contracts requiring a lot of facility management requirements means that gets built. Um, if, a, if a contract requires, I got approached by some of the brick schema people. A lot of features got built for a brick schema simply because they approached, you know, it, it, you get out what you put in. So that's what really drives development. But on the side, on, on the back of all of that, there is a, a longer term goal that 
you should be able to do absolutely everything, free software in AC, the entire thing from beginning to end. Every single use case in AC, you should be able to replace and do entirely with free software. And I don't think there should be any compromise to that. The AC industry is just too interconnected and too many externalities. BIM is virtual. The world is not virtual, right? <laughs> we have to be a little bit wiser with, with how we treat it. Part of that means you need to have transparency and control over your workflows. Like sometimes you look at a building and you know that was designed with Revit. It's like, I mean, it's got to that point almost. Well, um, I, funny enough, I met a person once at a conference. His PhD is based specifically on the fact that there is a very close alignment to the buildings that are getting built and uh, the biggest tools that are being used for the design purposes. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a real shame. And like, for example, in the CG industry, they start the creative vision, and then the tools are whatever tools are needed to make that vision come to life. It's the opposite. Of, and, and, and many architecture firms like to do that as well. And sometimes it, it falls short, and, or, or subliminally, they're, they're being pushed so much down a certain path because that's just the way they can do it. At the same time, our industry is just so siloed. It's not good that the feedback loop between our tools are, are so long. A one-week turnaround is, is, is terrible in this day and age. It should be as though we're working in the same office right next to each other. Part of that's a cultural problem and a legal problem, but, but part of it's also a tool problem. It's so disconnected because, I mean, as to try as you want, Revit can't speak costing. It just cannot. It was not designed for that when it was first built. Uh, but now we have better solutions out there. We should. And so I believe that um, one of the crucial ways to solving this is to be providing the entire industry with free software so that we have control over the tools right now. Because right now, we don't have control over our own tools. No matter how, mu how many of the word digital you have in your business name, in your title, in your company, when somebody says, hey, can we do this? Usually your first thought is, does the tool I've purchased off the shelf let me do that? You know, does the vendor let me do that? And that's what dictates your digital building strategy. Does the tool let me, does the vendor allow me, not my company to do that? If the entire industry has access to free software, which can do all of the foundation things that our business needs, like it's a joke that, that you have to pay a lot of money just to be able to draw a wall nowadays. And back in the day, <laughs> take my pencil, draw a wall now, be quiet, <laughs> young, young, young fool on a computer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I'm jumping around a little bit, but but what I'm saying is that we it really should be your first answer should be yes I, I can do that thing with the digital building and to do that uh, okay I can combine this tool with that and connect it in this way and we'll get there our industry is becoming more and more savvy and then we'll start demanding it it's it's, it's a simple thing the the software development industry already demands this right if you go to a software developer and you say I want you to build this software by the way you're not allowed to use any open source. He'll look at you blankly and go, uh, <laughs> really? Any? <laughs> He'll struggle. He'll struggle. And also, you say, also, you're not allowed to use any open data protocols. No HTTP for you, <laughs> right? He'll say, sorry, I give up. Can't do it. Can't do my job. In the AC industry, it's, it's the norm. We have it, but the more people, and you know, we're teaching them how to code in, in primary school nowadays or something like that, in our industry, we'll, who will understand how computers speak to each other, then our expectations for how we're managing our digital buildings will 
increased dramatically. I see it in the exact same way, that we need to be in control of our own tools. And we're not, and it's a big challenge. And that's why we're seeing all these open letters come out now, because we are, as you said, getting a bit more savvy, more experienced. Uh, by this point, all the big companies uh, completely understand the limitations around having a single tool of Revit around it. Every company that I know of is spending significant resources in their own in-house development just to add tools on top of Revit just to be able for them to do their job right. And that's a challenge because let's say HOK and Fosters and Rogers need the automation tool for creating more sheets. And instead of working together, they're working Perfect. independently. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. You know, it's the sheet search. <laughs> and it's a, it's a very basic tool that this software lacks, and it just speaks volumes, you know, okay, now let's think about a different model, right? What if the tool that we're using is an open source tool? And what if the three development teams are not working independently of each other, but they're working collectively? So that would require a third of the effort, which would be additive as opposed to separate. So then all these little development tools that are happening, which are needed because you know, architecture is getting more complex, like any industry. So we need better tools to support that. So then all of a sudden, if we're building on top of each other's tools all the time, we have this collective evolution of a tool that works mostly for everybody. There will still, you know, be a need for more specific tools, or maybe that's where competition comes into play, where one company could have one tool that does this one thing a little bit better, you know, that's fine. Let them keep like the more specifics to themselves, but like the core, which is a lot of the things that we're still missing are what people are complaining about with all these open letters, I think, to Revit. So I'm completely with you. The question is, how does that happen? How do we kind of veer off the industry and all the investment that's happened to support Revit or a Revit workflow like BIM managers, technicians, you know, all these catalogs, even the, 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 not the construction, but the design industry. So every company out there now, or the big ones, at least like Steelcase and No, are providing BIM data, you know, so people can insert their products a little bit more easier into it. So how do we, what, what's the first step? Is something like Blender BIM, or is there like other ways that we can chip away from the big monopoly to develop these alternative rules and to kind of start eventually having something more? Or is it going to be, driven specifically by Autodesk's ever-changing marketing and pricing, you know, which is becoming, you know, from what I hear for big enterprise companies, 200, 300% more expensive every three years or so. It's a joke. People are writing these open because people don't or shouldn't be hiring an architect because they've got a nicer phone. <laughs> they've got a nicer drawing board. They not the you're in here not to provide, or maybe you are, I don't know, maybe you are I, here to provide it as, 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 as fast as you can draft cookie cutter, churn out the drawings as fast, like drafting service. Maybe, yeah, maybe some people are, but I would hope that some of the largest companies think that they're, that they can, that what they're actually providing is the wisdom of how to design a good built environment that benefits everyone. I completely agree with you. And I don't think the open letter steps out from that kind of idea. 
of architects providing their services. I, I see the open letters very much as a industry insider, like uh, complaints, which I completely understand because as we mentioned, sure, myself, anybody else out there, big companies, we can all find ways around some of the limitations. Uh, but it is first off getting a lot more expensive to do our job properly, which it shouldn't be. And second off, more convoluted because now every company needs to hire a developer just to build on top of the package they're already paying so much money for to develop additional tools like what we said, you know, a sheet manager as a simple thing and many more other more complicated things on top of that. You find ways, like you, you were saying with Bender Beam, you find ways to, to adapt and to make it work. Is it the most optimal way to work? Probably not. And I think that's what people are addressing, that there should be a better way. You know, they should be getting Autodesk in this case, should be listening a little bit more to their customers and so on. So, so I think it's kind of a cultural shift. People should start saying, okay, the only thing that previously I would have done privately, Really, yeah. how much money do you think your company is making think, that sheet changes? Like, is that really what sets you apart? All and it is around. happening, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All the asset libraries. That's not what you're charging for. You're not charging for those, right? You're charging yeah. for where to place those assets. And that's just the beginning of the culture. Just understanding that you're, you're not making money off little you know, one-offing each other tech tricks. You're making money off just being a good designer. <laughs> that's what, that's yeah. what you're a paid professional for. The next step is saying, okay, now that we're sharing, starting to share, how do we share more effectively? How do we share cross-discipline? How do you share uh, long-term? And when you start asking those sorts of questions, then the way you share changes a lot. Like if you want to start sharing assets to and from 4D and 5D, then, well, a Revit model is immediately not an option anymore. Oh, not without a ton of hacks piled on top, but there are better approaches, especially because there are lots of 4D software, there's lots of 5D software out there. That culture will naturally make you realize what's important. Instead of asking, how can we get more bang for this buck on, on this off-the-shelf vendor? No, it's the wrong question. Change the culture to, we all got to work together more. What are we being paid for? To make great buildings and great built environment. Great. What's our vision for that? What's your best design strategy towards doing that? And then you pick the right tech for it. And almost always, if you if you just look at it objectively, the tech that we're all using right now is a very poor choice. And yes, we have to use it simply because it's the most mature right now and it's what people have trained on and it's all got that sunk cost. But in the long term, it's a very, very, very poor choice. And there are no signs of it changing. I think companies are starting to, to get that. And they are a lot more open-minded about alternative tools and they're happy for their designers to explore that. So there is a bit of a culture shift that I experienced six, seven years ago when I was in a company using Blender, people were like, what are you doing? Nobody else knows how to do this. I, I specifically had a manager that I remember that said, what happens if you get run over by a bus? You know, like who's going to be able to pick up your work after that? And to some extent, he was correct in saying that. But to another extent, it also shows that uh, maybe big corporations are quite risk averse and they're also using like the safest choice because they have all these resources allocated to it. I believe that there's absolutely need for a change, it will probably be more subtle, right? Unless again, Autodesk quadruples their prices, you know, because that's what's happening with Photoshop, for example. HOK stopped using Adobe Photoshop 
and now they use Affinity. A lot of other architecture offices are also changing to that because it's just much cheaper. Sure, there are a lot of designers that are complaining about that. You know, some of them are even, I know personally, demanding to use Photoshop. Otherwise, they're like, fine, I'll find another office to use. But most people are quite happy with it. To me, that actually is a, a step that shows that there is the possibility to change. But there are really concrete steps. The first concrete step you can be taking at your workplace is taking an OCC. The first step to working together is being disciplined about your data. Being disciplined about your rent data is good, but it's a dead end in the long term. Being disciplined about your IFC data, almost a nice standard, increasingly being required in contracts, goes across disciplines, is yes, yes, yes. It's a thing to do. And, you, and as we mentioned earlier, you can already do it with today's tools. If you know which buttons to press in Revit, you can get a not too shabby thing. So if anybody here is watching this and, and you've got Revit open on another window, on another window, ask yourself this question. On the drawing, you've labeled a piece of kit, a pump, a door, let's say a door type, you know, it's tagged DT01. Where is that stored in IFC? And where is it stored in Revit? The answer to where it's stored in Revit is always a, oh, right? <laughs> Type mark, keynote, mark, comment, description, type name, who knows, whatever. It's a mess. And, and I won't tell you the answer, but find out where it's stored in IFC. And don't guess. Like, find out actually. Like, like start, start, start reading about the ISO standard. What is the ISO standard? Because the ISO standard has a very simple answer to that. It says it's stored here. End of story. Where's the door name stored? Here. Where's the, the door type name stored? Here. Just start learning about that open standard, even if they don't ask for it. Uh, sooner or later they will, but but if they don't right now, start exporting IFCs, jump straight to IFC4, open up that IFC, start comparing. Is this is this data what I expect? Does it match what I have in my drawings? If I have 10 door types on my door types schedule, do I see 10 door types in my IFC model? And that's a very, very simple way of upskilling yourself on a way that in the future we'll be able to exchange with any discipline and it doesn't matter which discipline you're in it's, it's such universal advice i could be speaking to a cost planner and they could be doing the same not using right they would be using um costex or, or somebody using synchro for example or or using microsoft project get that schedule out put it into ifc what do you see in ifc if you start linking costing and or your facility management data it's not just a spreadsheet what is it in ifc little by little no matter what discipline you're in, if you're all starting to speak the same language, the shared language of IFC, that will be a step closer. And breaking away from the paradigm of, oh, I press export and it's a file on my desktop, because IFC is not a file, it's a data schema, which in theory, you could remove the, the file, you could speak straight to a, a central server, you could speak to a central database, you could speak directly from app to app, you don't even need that ifc file to begin with and this is a misconception many people have they think it doesn't work like they see okay speckle is one you know at one end of the spectrum where you have things speaking directly and then you have a dumb file files can't be the future cloud is actually no, no it's just so if that's a simple step you can start taking to start speaking the same language so a few clarifications so ifc is ifc an open format it's an open data standard which includes, and part of the specification, includes multiple formats. So .ifc is one of the possible formats out of multiple. 
you can have a .ifc.json. So somebody who says, I like JSON, JSON's easy to read, no problem. IFC can be JSON. You want an XML, you like to read XML, you can have .ifc XML. It's a perfectly valid alternative. If you say, oh, I don't like plain text, I want binary, you can have that too. You can have IFC HDF5. If you say, I want a SQL database because I like databases, you can have that too, IFC SQL. And another question. So you keep mentioning an ISO standard. Is that something that already exists or is it being developed? And what's the relationship between that ISO standard and IFC? IFC is an ISO standard. If you go to the Building Smart webpage, you will see ISO number and IFC 2x3 has a number, IFC 4 has a number, and the upcoming IFC 4.3 has just been submitted to ISO. And so it will also have enough. Okay. And then what is the relationship with IFC OpenShell to IFC? IFC is just a data schema. It's basically a, um, a computer language which says, here is how digital buildings are described. And that's one half of it. It's this computer language. They call it Express. Nowadays, it's also available in UML for a more modern alternative. The other half of it is a essentially a big book. Uh, like in Australia, we have the Australian standards. You know, all the architects need to read the Australian standards to know how the building gets put together. If you're a BIM professional, you should be reading the IFC documentation manual. And that's a it's a fairly tough read if you're not a, a BIM geek. But if you are a BIM geek, and 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 I mean like a not just you know you know where the buttons are in Reddit, but actually the digital information behind the BIM, that's the manual you should be reading. And yeah, it's difficult. It's technical the same way Australian standards are difficult and technical and it takes a while to, to know them inside out. Uh, but you can and put together, uh, uh, that makes an ISO standard which says, here is how a digital building is described across every discipline. And that's all it is. It doesn't actually tell you how to store it on a computer. It doesn't tell you that it should be on a file. It, should, it just says, here's how it's described. And then there are separate documents which say, if you want to store it as a file, here's one option, here's another option, here's another option, and so on. I didn't answer your question. You asked about IFC Open Shell, actually. Yes. Um, sorry, I, I completely missed that. Um, it's all right. I, uh, so, so IFC is just the, 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 the description of how data should be stored. And naturally, you need a... Uh, a programming library to to speak that to speak that language of IFC, and uh, so IFC OpenShell is a library which lets you speak the IFC language, as it were, using C or Python. And it's not the only one. Uh, there is also IFCJS, which lets you speak it using JavaScript. There's also XBIM, which lets you speak it using C Sharp. I have a bit of bias towards IFC OpenShell, but I also think objectively IFC OpenShell is by far the most advanced and oldest and most mature of all of these libraries. So if you want to start uh, interrogating IFC, creating your own IFC data, that's where IFC OpenShell comes in. Does the likes of Revit and ArchiCAD use their own libraries or do they use one of the tools you mentioned to export and import? Yeah, so the ones I've just mentioned are all open source, but they're also proprietary ones. So Revit, I believe, has their own internal IFC um, uh, system, but they also have portions of it uh, open source using their, their new Revit IFC uh, import or export add-in. 
And so if you press, uh, you know, file export live, so you're, you're very likely using the open source one. Um, yeah. But uh, I think but Autodesk, of course, has joined um, the uh, ODA recently. And so maybe they will switch. They'll throw all that away and they'll start again using uh, the ODA toolkit, which is another option. And now the question then is for these different kinds of toolkits, are they 100% adhering to the schema or do they each have their own take on it? Because it sounds like, you know, if you're exporting from Revit and the Revit is using their own tool, but then you're using IFC OpenShell based tool to import, that's where I imagine the issues typically arise when you're transferring data. Yeah, this is a common misconception. So everything I've just mentioned so far is, is just a... Um, it's just a library. It doesn't actually, it's, it's the user of that library who either makes the IFC correct or not. You know, I can actually create wrong information in IFC OpenShell and you could create wrong information using ODA's toolkit. You can actually so it's do just it. about tagging, I guess, correctly your models. Is that what you're saying? Part of it is uh, syntactically correct, in which case, uh, for the most part, um, if you use a, a sensible library, you should get syntactically correct things. But there's also whether the relationships are correct. So there are certain relationships which have meaning in IFC. So in theory, you can choose not to place all your objects on in a location in the world. And you can do that. But whether or not you consider that correct is, is, is probably not. You know, if, if you're an architect, you say, hold on, that's wrong. And that's just the guy who used the library in the wrong way. The library has can, can do it properly. And people have the impression that there are many flavors of IFC. Well, import-export qualities are pretty poor, but that's yeah. also not true. There is one way of doing it. There's one correct way of doing it. <laughs> that's just a fact, uh, you, know, you know, with a few, a couple of asterisks. But mostly there's, it's not the way you're thinking. It, it is, there's one correct way the IFC way, it's specified in ISO. You can look at a model and you can say that's right, or you can say that's wrong. It's almost black and white. If you're experiencing variation, you have to start demanding more from your vendors. Blender BIM, are there, are there any other contributors? Does the fact that it's open source sort of help invite more contributors to the code? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, Blender BIM is actually part of IFC Open Shell. As I mentioned earlier, Blender BIM, I think this is also another interesting misconception, but, but not one I, I care to dismiss so much because Blender BIM is a, is a good marketing name. You know, if somebody says Blender BIM, they get it. Okay, it's BIM plus Blender. Uh, but for a programmer, um, Blender BIM is really IFC Open Shell plus Blender. It's, it's just the Blender interface. But Actually, everything you're doing is native IFC. So you could, in theory, just remove that very thin layer of Blender interface and put the entire engine of, of Blender BIM underneath Revit and turn Revit into a native IFC authoring platform. You could do or that. Or a new platform. Let's not or talk about platform. Revit, but something more open, let's say. Interesting. Um, so everything in... in in Blender BIM that you see built is actually built separate to Blender first and only then it's plugged into Blender. So the people using it and the people contributing to it are come from very diverse backgrounds and only a fraction of it is from Blender. So there's actually, oh, 
I think right now there's about 130 contributors. Wow. Um, it's it's amazing. been it's been around for 10 years now. And most people <laughs> they don't even know it was around. It's just it's yeah. just the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, you know, the 1% of the world doing BIM, that 1% of the 1% who's doing open BIM, and then the 1% of that 1% who's doing open BIM seriously and not just as, oh, yeah, I pressed the export button, you know, and actually looking inside. And 130 people is, is, is not a small number. It's a, it, for open source projects, it is a well-matured project, and it's, and it's starting to hit the snowball phase. You can see the commits the contributors the star star ratings it's it's a very exciting time that's great really great to hear how do you see ifc open shell uh, or is somebody working on that kind of integration that you said that could exist with freecat for example it already is everything we build actually almost in like when, when we build a whole bunch of performance upgrades, FreeCAD for free gets a performance boost because FreeCAD also uses IFC OpenShell under the hood. Right. FreeCAD, however, uses IFC as an import-export. So there are only certain portions which they are using of the underlying IFC OpenShell. Uh, if they migrated more and more towards a native IFC approach, then oh, they, they could build it very, very fast indeed. It would be merely a UI exercise um, because it's it's all the same functionality. It's already done for you. What are some of the community examples that you have seen that people use Blender BIM for? Is it for like whole buildings? Is it like individual houses? Is it for something more related to engineering industries? Or is it all of those things? Oh, it's all of those things. I get so surprised and it's it's very nice to see people using your work for unexpected things. When Blender BIM was first built, you know, we're talking the 83 lines of code that yeah. just, it only works if you could read it and you could make sense of it. Pretty soon after that, maybe a few months, um, it was used for visualizing compactor machine information for building a highway. And And, you know, when you... When you build BIM software and you say, okay, what's my list of critical features here? You don't think compactor machine visualization, but it just was. Yeah. Like this, some guy in the Blender forum said, hey, I used your tool for this. And he shows Blender in one screen. He shows Navisworks on another screen. And it's just, it's just inspiring. And, and, and just since then, I, there's been so many uses I've seen it for. Um, of course, all the 45D stuff. I've seen it for uh, rebar. It's used a lot of weird, funky animations. It's been used for um, energy analysis, like government energy certification or something. It's been used for uh, designing war bunkers. Like it's used for all sorts of weird and wacky stuff. It's just great to see. That's, that's the benefit, you know? It's where your imagination leads you. We never designed it for that, but it is. And uh, have you had any challenges with developing Blender VM or thinking about like the next steps of what you should be developing? All the time. It's not easy. Building BIM <laughs> software is very, very hard. 
building BIM software to an ISO standard is even even harder because mm. with with when you're when you're doing it by yourself, you know, if something doesn't quite work, you can just say, ah, oh, whatever. Here's my hack. Now it works. You know, I've done it, and that's what most people do. But if you think in the long term yeah. and you want to um, build BIM software to an ISO standard so that everybody can do it the same way and speak the same language. It's a, it's a social issue. You, 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 you discuss, you debate, and things move a little bit slower, but, but there's a lot of very smart things and, and, and thoughts behind those decisions. Um, sometimes, you know, some things which make no sense whatsoever in hindsight, but, but, but on the whole, there's a lot of very smart, big moves being made. And there's so many challenges. Um, uh, I mean, it's we don't have a huge team of developers, but you know, maybe maybe the big companies don't either. You know, if you think about it. Um, but we also yeah. don't have that huge history, and um, people are volunteering their time. So there's there's time constraints. There's lots of technical problems like mixing. Uh, designing software to be agnostic of Blender is, is also a, a huge software engineering task in itself. Designing software so that any beginner programmer can also start to contribute, even if they don't, you know, they're not an experienced software developer. That's, that's, that's part of it as well. You want, it's not just building a tool, it's building a tool that people could play with. Like if tomorrow Autodesk said, Revit's now open source, here you go. <laughs> people look at that big plonk and go, Huh. Now what? <laughs> right? It's 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 whereas designing it in a way that um, you know your your average guy just touching Python like can can start doing meaningful things with it is is also a huge challenge. And building a community of people sharing and testing and the, there's so many ways to skin a cat sometimes and 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 you don't have all the answers and Short answer, yes. Very, very challenging. Non-stop challenges. I've got so many, I don't even know where to begin. But you know what? You chip away at it one day at a time, and before you know it, things are happening, and people are visualizing compactor machine data. So for the coders out there that are interested in contributing, what is like something they can, that, that, that's like easy, you know, beginner-friendly and accessible that they could potentially help out with? Well, I think the best way to code is by scratching an itch. You know, you, you use the software. Um, you don't code to, to do a deadline like a software programmer. That's not the culture of open source. The culture is you do it because you truly believe in it, and, you, and usually that means that you work as a professional. So my advice is not to go in with an attitude of, that's fine, bug. You know, bugs marked as easy in the to-do list, in the issue tracker, and do that. That's, it's... Start using it, see the bit you're interested in, and then hack on that, because I guarantee there's a lot to hack on. I'm just wondering if you think that Blender BIM could do this someday soon. So I have to tell my story a little bit here. So, you know, I'm a huge open source advocate. I definitely see the value of it. I don't think the tools are just there yet. And I had a private project in the beginning of this year where I shot myself in the foot a little bit. I was like, I'm going to try to do the whole thing in FreeCAD, right? Why FreeCAD? Because for me, FreeCAD is a little bit more aligned to the way that you would use Revit. 
So I did it all, you know, design, amazing, much better actually than uh, using Revit. But where the struggle was, was documentation, right? And some simple things like having your floors aligned and the really basic things. So I've kind of have a list of things that I think uh, uh, a new BIM software should include and make it really easy to do. And then everything else is like a, an amazing bonus. So there should be a very easy way to draw walls and to edit walls. There should be a very easy way to ha have associative doors and windows, right? So if you move a wall, the doors and the windows follow. There should be a very easy way to have associative dimensions, and then have uh, associative floors as well. If you have uh, some way to indicate that this floor should be this and this height, then all the walls adjust themselves and so on. And funny enough, you know, those basic things are actually quite difficult to come by. Yeah, because they're not easy. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we give... The, the legacy software had a long time to they've done a They've done a good job. Yeah. Of course, we always complain and want to do better. But like, yes. Just just speaking from a software developer, if somebody says, "Let's build a wall drawing tool," you, you it's not as easy as this. It will happen. Uh, these tools will come. You will be able to draw like that. And there is a. It's happening sooner. The reason there is a bit of a delay. Firstly, because if we try to do things in a way that is truly interoperable, these things haven't been fleshed out completely yet. So in IFC 2x3, IFC was actually fully designed for complete 2D drafting capabilities. In IFC 4, a lot of that was called back, and so it wasn't developed further. You look out there, like how many IFC viewers will show you all the 2D information in the file? You know, how many will show you a drawing in the file? How many of those drawing conventions are standardized? So there was a lot of work which needed to be done on how to do 2D documentation and what that should look like, what the future of 2D documentation is not just about translating the way we've always done it into a new software and just rebuilding it. Um, it's more about saying, okay, how can we, uh, for, for example, you say a dimension, are some dimensions merely implicitly part of the parametric object, in which case you don't need to annotate them because they're coded into it and can be sent straight to fabrication? Are some dimensions, yes, part of that, but they need to be highlighted for the purposes of communication, like a clear visual diagram, so within five seconds you can digest the important key parts of that, that thing. Um, in which case it's more of a, the annotation is, is more diagrammatic. Um, or is, is an annotation actually a constraint, like it, you have to legally achieve this for... Uh, you know, health and safety or a code compliance measure or whatever, you know, uh, the, there's, a, there's, there's a big topic of how do you build this for the future? Because we already have tools which do it now. And, and when we build this, we don't want to just copy what we're doing now. We want to think about how to do it better. So the question is, what's the real semantic meaning behind these dimensions, which will start falling off as, as you know, model-based fabrication and construction becomes bit more mature, which ones will retain, and what's their semantic meaning. So that's that's for the, the 2D part of your question. Then you started talking about making it easy to draw walls and all that. Uh, but it's also no different. Like IFC offers um, connect, uh, relationships of describing how the, a door is filling an opening, that opening is voiding a wall. So there's a clear uh, kind of parent-child relationship there. 
that there are nesting relationships where a host moves, all of the children must move with the host. Um, there are also relationships like uh, connectivity, path connectivity. So a wall knows that it has its end connected to another wall. And can that end be connected to multiple walls? Well, logically, not really. You know, it's, it's all those little finicky details. I may be able to show you uh, a little demonstration, at least for walls, so that you get a taster that I'm not just saying words. It is actually happening. And it could yeah, happen sure. like as soon as another uh, few months.